0: Log Talk Radio. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Drive Through HR. I am your host today, Crystal Miller-Lay, and I am joined by the effervescent Kathy Misseldine. Kathy,
1: thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Crystal, for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Oh, anytime. So for those who may not know, Kathy Misseldine is the Chief Human Resources Officer at Southeast Trans Incorporated, and I believe firmly that no one can introduce you quite as well as you can yourself. So Kathy, I would love for you to introduce yourself to our audience.
1: Thank you so much. As Crystal noted, I am the CHRO for Southeast Trans. We do non-emergency medical transportation for Medicare, Medicaid patients, so we are in the healthcare space. Uh, prior to that, I had my own consulting firm for almost 20 years and so pretty active in Sherm National and uh, Sherm Atlanta. So that's how I met Crystal was through networking through different SHRM events uh, and conferences throughout the years.
0: You know, I feel like it's been forever, but it really hasn't been that long. We shouldn't eight ourselves. It hasn't been that long yet, but but, um, but it's been great to see how you've – I hate to say "grown" because that's not the right word, but, like, how your career has evolved over the years. Um, yeah. And I love some of the things that you're focused on at work right now. So uh, we're going to talk about that in just a second. But for those of us who maybe haven't joined before, um, you're listening to Drive Through HR. We are the Internet's longest-running, continuous-running continuous human resources talk show. That is a mouthful and a half, but, <laughs> but <essentially, laughs> Essentially, we talk about um, all things HR, some of it uh, mind boggling, some of it irreverent, some of it informative, but it's really up to our guests. And so our, our show revolves around one simple question, and that's what's keeping you up
1: at night. So, Kathy, what's keeping you up at night? Well, you know, the list sometimes is long, but <laughs> currently <laughs> at the top of my list is, you know, how to bring our employees back to work safely. So in this environment, as we all have been witnessing, you know, we we see the news about vaccinations uh, rising above the 60% mark. And we see hiring, you know, 8 million jobs open at the current time. So that's the question. How how do we get our, our employees back to work safely? How do we retain them? How do we keep them safe? um and so yeah that's that's it yeah and i mean that's a big task when you think about it right we have more than a million workers
0: in the united states right now that are in process or soon to be in process to returning back to a workplace while many many uh, companies have said we're not going to return to work that's not a luxury that all jobs actually can afford so a million people is not a small number of people. Um, for your company, you know, are you going back into a workplace or are you doing remote work?
1: So, you know, Crystal, thanks for that question. It's you know, we've been, as, a, as an executive team, we've been thinking about that, obviously, ever since the vaccines were uh, starting to be executed at the first of the year. And being in the healthcare, we were kind of first in line with that. So, you know, before COVID, our company had been talking about, you know, sending folks home and we had done a few pilots in our claims area, and we had been toying with the idea of sending our agents home for a myriad of reasons, right? You know, the usual cost savings for, for real estate and, of course, retention and the avail- availability of resources throughout the United States, not just in the markets in which we serve. So... You know, what this did was it forced our hand, right? So we sent everybody home in the period of about 45 days, probably around 800 people. So then we had to sit back uh, in these last few months to say, what makes sense to bring back into the office? And, oh, by the way, we're we're building a brand-new headquarters here in Atlanta. So what makes sense, to you know, to do at this point in time? And so what we did was we took a look at it and said, you know, Our call centers are running very well. Matter of fact, our attrition is down. Our productivity is up. Our complaints are down. Our numbers are all going in the right direction. So um, let's let's leave well enough alone. But what we don't want to lose in this virtual environment is our culture, our mission, focus, um, how we do business, who we are, how we behave on a daily basis, all those things that our clients love about us. So what we decided to do is let's turn our brick and mortar into meeting centers, training centers, um, you know, getting folks more, you know, more training if they're struggling on the in the in their role on the call center floor, um, and, and just kind of reconfigure. So once we made the decision, okay, we can we can do this. We can leave our agents at home, but the support staff we're going to bring back on on site. And what does that look like? How do we keep them safe? And here's a caveat that's I think is pretty interesting. And this is what I would recommend to to your listeners: is what does your data say about your workforce? Because what my data says is very different. My workforce is 75 percent women. And it's 75% African-American. So I have a very high vaccine hesitant demographic, right? Mm -hmm. So we've been tracking vaccines, right? So if you look at the national average right now, we're sitting at 60%. I think the president hopes to be around 70% next month. Um, So compare that to my my demographic. I've got about 13% vaccinated, right? So Mm -hmm. that's tough. So if I bring my population back as a whole, we're going to be putting them at risk. So what yeah, we're trying I'm to do is Yeah. So what we're trying to do is, you know, again, go back to the data. I know you're a very uh I know you're very <laughs> analytical and you use data. <laughs> In your job. Yes. Um so, you know, we're we're trying to figure out okay, so why are you vaccine hesitant? You know, I I know what I hear in the news, but so we asked our employees, you know, why, why why won't you get the vaccine? We want you to be healthy. This is not about coming back to work. We don't want you to get sick. And you know, we we found out a lot of things. You know, we found out, well, it came out too soon. I'm scared of the side effects. I'm scared of the history of the of the vaccine with African Americans. Uh, community. I'm, you know, uh, my religion is against it. I'm scared. I don't think it works. You know, all those type of things. And so we're trying to to mitigate those as a company. But so the question of bringing people back to work sounds very easy, yes or no, but it's not.
0: Yeah, and and I would say there's there's so many different things to consider. And one of the things. There's – very rarely do I recommend that people read any specific um, article. I'm going to make a recommendation today, though. It's uh, thecut.com. The title is – what was the title of that? It was How is Returning to the Office Supposed to Work Exactly? And it hits on a lot of the things that you're talking about, the underlying things that – the underlying emotion in the things that you're talking about is fear. And we've had over a year where, uh, if not the majority of America, a very large population in America has been working from home. And that changes a lot of things, right? Not the least of which is individual psychological outlook, right? So when you go to an office and you're surrounded by other people, your self-actualization is impacted by the people that you're around. For the last year we've been around Netflix and our couch and our refrigerator and our family, and that's been like it right <laughs> so, for a lot of a lot of Americans and so there are a lot of fears running around and part of that is around vaccination um, but it's not all that it's how do you deal with your coworkers and and people that's who right. maybe over the last year plus you've learned have views that are so so disparate from your own you don't know how to find common ground with them. And, you know, I was reading something um, the other day in a uh, marketplace where it was talking about or it wasn't even the other day, maybe it was just this morning, um, that for African American workers, like working from home for the last year has actually helped provide some relief from inequitable workplaces and so the thought of going back into that without those problems being solved is very anxiety inducing <laughs> and so yep. i think we have the vaccine we have to deal with but we also have the larger questions and and, and holes in our culture and in our employer brands that maybe we didn't have plugged up prior to the vaccine that this year plus has shown a great big giant light on and we've got to figure out that, too. That's a lot for HR people to have to wrap their head around at one time. Boy,
1: you are so spot on. It's like you're kind of sitting in our, you know, in our back office, right? Because, again, my population is, is, is different. And you're absolutely right. That fear piece is huge. And, we have been having huge discussions around the cultural issues, and you know, on the outside, people would say, "Oh, oh, Kathy, Southeast Trans does not have a diversity, inclusion, and equity problem. Look at your look at your data." Yes, we do. <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. you you can look and say, like you said, you know, work from home, management positions, think, you know, different. Um, different slices of our demographic that aren't represented all the way up to the top, you know, things of that nature. And so it's interesting that during this time, two side-by-side conversations. How do we bring folks back to work safely, and we should say and and with high productivity? And then also, what do we need to do about our culture as it relates to DE&I? Yeah, I
0: think
1: so those the, are two... The, two no, no, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead.
0: <laughs> We're too polite to each other. <laughs> Thank you. But those are two very different but two very critical things to um, issues to address, right? And so with the vaccine, I've seen a lot of companies that are working on that in phases, and I know that the EEOC um, actually recently just came out with new guidance around all of that, Um It's always interesting to me to see how, you know, how the government and and, um, the different panels that we have put together to help us with work um, guides us through some of this stuff, right? And so, you know, um, the EEOC is hosting, or I guess it hosted its first um, all-virtual videocast hearing. Which is interesting. where they discussed workplace civil rights recently? Have you had a chance to look at that? It, I think it was April twenty eighth was when they they did I that. I have not. I have not. Okay, so that's interesting, and I'll have to shoot that link to you. But um, but they heard from different uh, different witnesses. They had a couple of panels. Um, one on one was um, had an expert from the American Indian community, uh, so it was looking specifically at sort of um, how this is impacting uh, not just workers around the vaccine, but, you know, all of the fears around harassment and culture. So it was a really interesting um, interesting event. I, I would recommend giving it a look. Uh, A lot of it's centered around awareness, around discrimination. And so I think we can look at those things and and get a sense for what some of the fears that our population is having. And I would posit that, you know, it's not just your company or or my company or one specific company that is struggling with um, DEIB initiatives. Um, within their organization, it's every organization. And if you think your organization isn't part of that, I, you know, respectfully say you're probably kidding yourself because our country is struggling with that. And so uh, you can't have a country struggling with it and then not have your company have some sort of struggle around it too. So, um, rants off. (laughs) (laughs) Like I get on little rants. But, uh, but to that end, one of the things that I think is, is probably worth noting is, like, when we look at D&I initiatives, there's a heavy focus on diversity, and I think it's almost unbalanced to where it needs to be the flip. You know, the, the focus is on inclusion, and when you build inclusive work environments, the diversity piece, it doesn't handle itself, but it becomes a lot easier to manage because you've built this inclusive workspace where equity and belonging is evident in your organization you're going to get more diverse candidates applying that that's what we've seen now getting there is not as easy as saying okay we're equitable now so, you know, so there is a plan that you have to put together um i know you said that's something that your company is trying to tackle now so i don't want to put you on the spot and be like how did you solve this but are there things that y'all are thinking about or um, that you're
1: looking to implement that you can talk about. If not, that's certainly okay. We, you know, the interest, no, that's fine, Crystal. The we're, the interesting part is, is we've just asked ourselves this question during this time because, like you said, of the fears and asking ourselves the question internally, we had a chance to pause during this uh, pandemic to look internally and because we were growing by leaps and bounds, you know, or we grew from 350 employees to 1,100 employees in less than in less than four years, and then we had to stop and go. Okay, let's take a look at this infrastructure. We got a minute right now with this uh, with this uh, pandemic, and we've got some time to uh, look at best practice and things of that nature. And I'll never forget it. Uh, one of my managers that reports to me, Kathy, do you think we have a diversity problem? And it stopped me in my tracks. Because you know, like you said, the diversity is is to me is an outcome of inclusivity, right? And so and mm-hmm. it's not the usual suspects with us because we cover those bases, but it seems like I'll give you an example. Um, so we run call centers, um, we we um, have Medicare Medicaid patients as our end user of our service. And so, you know, by any stretch of the imagination, we're not gonna pay top seventy percentile on compensation, right? And Atlanta, most of our markets are strong markets for call centers and so when you're not paying top dollar, we've made that decision, we have to pay at market or below, but we have a great uh we have a great story to tell. So sometimes when you when you hire at that level, you, you don't have you don't check off every skill set box. And what we were noticing was we've got a a lot of people in our in our call centers that don't have excellent communication skills, either written uh, or verbal. And a lot of people would say, hmm, you know what, that's on them. Or you know what, they're not going to get promoted until they fix that. Or, hmm, when the, the market gets better, we'll just hire people with better communication skills and replace them. No, because to me, that's a, that's, a, that's a slice of diversity to me, right? So yeah. what are we going to do about that as a company? Well, this is what we're going to do. We're going to teach writing skills, and we're going to teach grammar skills, and we're going to put that in our intro to leadership classes so that... We make uh, we make our employees stronger, whether they're here or it's, you know, or they they're somewhere else. But we have, you know, we have given them that skill set. So if they want to move up to a team lead, a supervisor, or go over into operations, that they do at least have those basics around communication. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, I, I think that brings up a really good point. So I, I would argue for anyone who thinks that the individual is solely responsible for their skills development, that you are doing your company a disservice. So while technically, okay. yes, we are all responsible for bettering ourselves, that doesn't mean we are solely responsible for bettering ourselves. And quite frankly, people learn to the level, it's, it's like you, you don't know what you don't know. Right. And so, right. you know, if you have workforce that is uh, deficient in any area, whether it be communication skills or other skills, um, you know, they, they may not realize that they're deficient in those areas. And so you could let them continue to move along blindly or you could help them become better, which in turn helps your organization. So I think every company should have a learning and development plan. But to your point, uh, in, from an inclusivity perspective, you know, you can't create high potential programs and and you can't create um, learning and development programs for your executive managerial and professional roles and not do the same thing for your skilled, semi-skilled, and unskilled labor force. Like it has to be across the board or it's not inclusive. And real uh, financial, benefit to an organization for doing this. I mean, this is not a new article. It's like Forbes 2019. But for companies that invest in building truly inclusive work environments, people are 42% less likely to leave, even if pay is not top market. So you know, people want to be able to that's right.
1: work. That's mm-hmm. right. And And that's another thing we do realize. You know, it's, it's interesting when you get a pause, right? And, and when I say pause, I'm saying, you know, a, a lot of our – patients were not going to the doctor because of covid so it gave us a time as a company to look internally and so you're you're absolutely right on that point because when when you make that investment into your skilled and unskilled they appreciate it and they will stay longer i mean i've I've seen it and so you know i think it pays dividends but the issue is you've got to be able to, A, recognize it, and, B, ask the tough questions. So that's the, that's the phase we're at, Crystal, is asking those tough questions because you've got to be ready to hear the answer. So we've just started our first DE&I, D, um, e, um, uh committee, um, it, you know, and we've gotten such a diverse uh, group of folks together to start that process. And then we will figure out what the goals are and what we're trying to accomplish. And then, you know, we will, we will, we will do the do the hard work because we have that commitment. And I think it's going to be, to me, it's incredibly important, especially now that we're virtual. It's even more important, I think, especially when we're yeah. virtual because of that culture piece.
0: Oh, for sure. Um, so, hold that thought. Quick reset. If you're just now tuning in, you're just a little over the halfway point of Drive Through HR, the internet's longest running HR radio talk show. I am mm-hmm. here with Kathy Misseltine, who is the CHRO for Southeast Trans. And we're talking about the returning workforce and getting people back to work. But we're also talking about building inclusive work environments. And part of the reason that we're having that discussion is because inc- inclusivity at this inclusion and belonging are really critical components to getting people back to work. So from that sense, you know, Kathy, what you're talking about to me, I, you know, what I hear is that in the um, seven or eight prong uh, steps to creating an inclusive work environment, you're really hitting on access to resources and training, learning, and development to, to um, pretty critical components to creating an inclusive work environment with the communications training that you're getting. But then the other two pieces are having a voice, which everyone needs, right? Everyone wants to feel like they have a voice yes. uh, in their workplace. Uh, and yes. then intentionally focusing on creating that sense of belonging. So I think what you're describing is a really great start to a, a larger DEIB program, and, and I would say, from, from my perspective, like, we get asked a lot, like, what can we do to, you know, what are some inclusive initiatives that we can do? You know, what can we do to make our employees feel more cared about? <laughs> and I'm, I'm always fascinated with, like, the way the questions get posed are always fascinating to me. But, um, but that being said, like, the question is really common. And people often want to solve these things with quick fix initiatives, and it's just not a quick mm-hmm. fix program. You know, it's, it's an entire culture. So you do have to be careful in how you time that out. And so we know from research that we can change a culture somewhere between 5 and 15%. I, I always like, how do you measure that 5 to 15%? But you can make small changes without destabilizing your culture. Large sudden shifts are very difficult for employees to, um, to believe in and to trust, right? So that's, I think, the point of it. So as you're building out this plan like as you you're in a hear a listening phase but when you get all of that feedback and you go to build out this plan like have you thought about the time frame in which you want to enact it whether that's 6 months or 24 months whatever that might be like do you have a sense for when you arrive
1: hmm. Wow great question Crystal um and just to your point you just said it's We're not about quick fixes and it's not an overnight. uh, It's not an overnight solution or or, uh, there's not an overnight expectation. So with that said. Um, you know, we're going through the listening phase and asking hard questions phase, doing some research phase, looking to others out there that do it very well, like Kaiser Permanente. They they got a great program, and and, and looking at others that have been um, been successful. And so I haven't really pinpointed a timeline yet because our culture. When you say a ten to fifteen percent shift, that is that is definitely our culture. Um, because there's been there's so much change in healthcare, and there's so much change going. I believe so much change going on externally now, and so much change going on in our employees' life. We're going to have to baby step that, and they're going to have to trust us uh, that what what we say is what we mean. So t- trust takes time. Not that they distrust us, but when we say that, you know what. Uh, we 've got these uh for example, if we decide we 've got these uh six affinity groups, please feel free to join in blah 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 blah. Are they gonna trust us that they are what they are? It is a safe place for them to go and talk with others like them, you know things like that so i um, i'm 'm I'm hard pressed to put a timeline on it right now, so I have a non no. I <laughs> That's okay. I mean, that's
0: fair. I would much rather hear like we don't know how long it's going to take than someone say like we're going to get this done in 2022 cuz you know, when, whenever mm. we talk with, you know, clients or potential clients and and their timeline is defined and short. You know, <laughs> 12 months is mm-hmm. like a really long time, but it's not. Um not when you're talking about cultural change, then you know, we kind of have to back into how are you going to get there? How will you know if your employees are adopting it or going through the motions? Like, What is the sense of urgency to end this as opposed to, here's what we want to accomplish in 2022, Uh, here's the milestones that we're going to know whether we're on track or need to revisit our timeline, you know, and here are the steps that we're taking to make sure that that our employees know that these are actual, meaningful, authentic changes that are occurring within our organization. It's things that we're earnest about. And and that's hard, (laughs) You know, when it comes to affinity and ERG groups, I think, you know, it was a little chaotic, but the way Chase Manhattan um, did this years ago now, I mean, like over a decade, was they allowed their employees to actually start these groups. And I have seen an uptick in employee resource group development Mm -hmm. over the course of the pandemic, which makes sense because virtual, you want to keep people connected but, but letting right. your employees drive which groups are created it goes a long way to help instilling that trust. But speaking of groups, before we end today, I wanted to talk a little bit about women returning to the the workforce, right? because there are millions of women
1: mm-hmm. that
0: right, and regaining those jobs, you know for minorities, but for women has been really um much slower than male counterparts, and so you know, I'm not trying to say that women have it harder than men. That's not where I'm going with it. But I think we have to look at the reason why women aren't returning to work so that we can address that as employers and help make that possible. You know, is that something that you all have looked at in
1: your organization? Well, you know, I, I, you know we hear the numbers, obviously, <laughs> Women have, and we employ a lot of women in call centers, you know, and in our own call center, what we were trying to do really hard during the midst of this thing is, okay, okay, I know that you've got two children. Your shift is this. We don't want to lose you. You've been with us for three years. Let's do this. You work four hours here, four hours there. Let us work with you so you don't have to leave us. Or can you go part-time? We want you to stay. And so we were all about giving grace. That I told my staff, give Grace what Grace is due during this period because on the other side of this they will still they will they will respect us because we tried to work with them and we just didn't throw our hands up and say, Well if you can't be here between eight and five, you don't have a job. And no. Yeah. And so now what I've also we talked to my recruiters about is look, if you if there's a resume in and, and usually, you know, you always have to explain that gap and if it's a mom that had to be home with her kids, that's a non-gap to me, right? Right. That's just a non-gap. And so yeah. I think there's things that we have to do as HR professionals to give some grace around this situation. For sure. I mean, I
0: think when we look at, you know, I was in a um, a quorum uh, recently of uh, of people. We were looking at how do we want to set and review um how do we want to side review to the employment gap, right? Because you've got workers who were already unemployed prior to the pandemic and then the pandemic pretty much right. guaranteed they were not. You truly have employment gaps right now that can be as much as two and a half years long. And you could say that those people are unemployable, right? Because they're not the traditional. Uh, they're not presenting the traditional resumes that we all look at and go like, Oh, okay. Work stability, continuous employment, blah, 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 blah. You can't do that right now. And with, with women, and I think that goes across all genders, but with women and family caregivers, because sometimes, you know, it's not always just women that care for their family. And we want to make sure that we're uh, gender inclusive there. You know, there are um, the additional uh, considerations around family. And so you had 4 million women that left the workforce between February and April of 2020. Mm, okay. That was um, a Politico survey. So when you look at men, you had 3.7 million men who left the workforce during the same period. So there's 300,000 um, additional women who were impacted by the pandemic, um, but it doesn't stop there. So when you continue to look through it, you've got 741,000 fewer Black women that are employed now than they were February of 2020. That's a 7% drop. Right. So to right. be able to help. These women get back to work, you do have to look at what is it. And part of it is childcare. like you said, a big part of it is that the childcare systems that allow unskilled, semi-skilled and even professional workers to be able to go to work are still disrupted. And so we have That's to right. find ways to allow them to be able to go to work. And I think what that looks like is a lot of what you talked about, which is reimagining what shift work is like for these people exactly Uh, if
1: they're at home and that makes it easier if they're at home you know and we're not we're not proponents of you can also take care of your child and be on the phone can't do that but if they're at home there are going to be times that they're available to work and so why don't we take advantage of that they're trained they're good our clients know them they know our clients way easier than going to try to find someone that hasn't been in our business, right? So that was, mm-hmm. that was, that was kind of our perspective is let's, let's do everything we can to try to work with these moms that are just going through, they're just going through it on all sides, right? Yeah, so.
0: absolutely. And when you think, like if someone's out there listening, you, well, I mean, how big of a deal is that really? 40% of centers in a given state has been closed for a period of at least 12 months, 40%. And there mm-hmm. was already an accelerated trend of, of um, child care closures prior to the pandemic because it's a difficult money to make, more, like, it's a difficult business model. So yeah. so there's that piece. But it's not just child care. It also goes into transportation and housing. So the other thing that we're seeing is that over the course of the pandemic, particularly in unskilled mm-hmm. and semi-skilled labor roles, like, there were a um, – a disproportionate number of car repossessions. There was a disproportionate number of um, disrupted travel. So that could be because uh, there were a lot of different reasons proposed for it, but like some of the reasons they proposed were they were already carpooling, but the people they were carpooling with were not going to work at the same time. Public transportation reworked routes during that time. So there's a lot of things that can contribute to that. So if you're looking at getting people back to work, and you're already spending thirty, forty, fifty percent more on being able to acquire talent. One of the things that I would suggest to you is to look at your, and obviously this is all dependent on your labor pool. But if you have um, unskilled, semi-skilled, skilled labor, is looking at investing in things that would allow them to come to work for you, and that might That's look right. like uniform subsidies. That might look like transportation subsidies. That might look like we have a company that is that actually invested in. A, um, a giant uh, commercial bus, like the the commercial liner is kind of like a Greyhound bus, but not a Greyhound. Uh, and so they're they're going and picking people up at set points throughout the city to be able to get them to work, right? So there's, there's a lot of careers you can do. You just have to make the decision that this is where we're going to invest our dollars. So for them, instead of paying third-party recruiters, they made the commitment to, to address the needs that they had like what were people turning them down for? And for them transportation was the number one reason. So they went to go get their employees. And they've committed to do it to that I just I think that I think is Yep.
1: And I and I think you I think you're you're right. That the thing that you can't accept is no I can't. You've got to dig under that and figure out what are the drivers of no and then figuring out if you can address it, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's going to take different thinking. I mean,
1: we've <laughs> talked
0: for years about we want to think outside of the box. We want, you know, HR wants a seat at the table. I hate that phrase so much. But, you know, like, I didn't, never asked for a seat at anything. I just demanded it, right? But, but you demand right. those things by being able to look at a business problem and come up with a solution for it. And the solutions are not going to look the same as they did in 2019 and before. They're just not.
1: That's because correct. Our that is correct. That's right. Agreed.
0: So to that end, Kathy, if, if you could leave people with, you know, any advice around how to look at the problems of getting people back to work, what would that be?
1: You know, here's what I would do. You know, you, know, you have to start asking yourself questions. and so Don't let it be knee-jerk. Yes, everybody come back to work on July 4th, and it's going to be business, or July 5th. It's going to be business as usual because it's not. So you've got to ask yourself who and how do we keep them safe and do we need to reconfigure because not everybody's going to be vaccinated. And then you have to also talk about some of these things that we brought up today. What are people, when they come back to work, what are what are they bringing back to work with them? Fear, uncertainty, is their life still in chaos, all those kind of things. And what are those support systems, those support nets that you have in place? Is your EAP uh, equipped to uh, you know, to address some of these things? Do you have some support systems in place that you can use at work to assist some of these folks? Some of the things that we were just talking about. So I think it takes a lot of planning and it's not an on and off switch. There's a lot of considerations. And when you don't know the answer, go ask your employees, they'll tell you. They will tell you what the answer is. How are you feeling about shots? Oh, I'm scared of shots what do you think about coming back to work? Oh, I'm worried because I take care of my ill mother and I'm I'm not vaccinated. Ask your employees what that is and see what you can do to make them feel comfortable and know that they are heard. Like you said, they have a voice.
0: I think that is fantastic advice. If someone wanted to connect with you, Kathy, what is the best way for them to do so?
1: Sure. Um, uh, it's C-Miffeldine, M-I-S-S-I-L-D-I-N-E, at southeasttrans.com, S-O-U-T-H-E-A-S-T-R-A-N-S.com. I'd be happy to answer any questions.
0: That is really kind. Are you also on LinkedIn? Um, do you, like, from a social perspective, where do you like to connect with people? Sure.
1: LinkedIn, I am there. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. first name, last name, Kathy with the C Misseldine. So yeah, that'd be great. That's
0: fantastic. Kathy,
1: I really appreciate you joining us today. I've got to say, like this has been one of um one
0: of my favorite uh drive through HRs this year and I don't say that to everyone. So <laughs>
1: Well, oh, thank you, like- Crystal. It was an interesting that's- conversation. I'm surprised at the time. I thought, oh, what time is it? Oh, my goodness, 1.37. <laughs> yeah,
0: you know, I, I booked some extra time for this drive through HR because I think it is a, a topic that's definitely worthy of of conversation. I think we could probably talk about it for several hours more. So what I'd love to be able to do is check back with you in a few months, have you back on, see how things are going, and, um, and get to talk to you again.
1: Sounds good, Crystal. I really appreciate it.
0: Okay. Well, thank you very much for everybody else who is listening to Drive Through HR. We have Robin and Michael up tomorrow, um, and then our Friday in the Rearview Host Show. So hopefully you can join us. And with that, we're going to say
1: have a great day, everybody. Thanks again, Kathy. Thank you. Bye bye.